You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. I don't want to start crying in. Uh, I learned a, a lesson from my friend Dave one time. If it's too emotional to start, then you end up crying the whole time. And it's, it's very frustrating for those that are listening. I'm not demeaning you, Dave. I just know how it is. It was somewhat of an emotional week. And so when you, you get too much going on there, it's hard to uh, speak. So we read this morning that Psalm 19, uh, young people five and under, you're free to run the, run the roads. <clears throat> who's our, who's our, our guidance and our director there? Little Maggie. You got a posse today, Maggie. You got an associate there, though, it looks like. Okay, good. What a blessing to see the children um, that we have. Thank you, Jed, for the word this morning and the, and the prayer and the thoughtfulness there for those. Uh, our Christian brothers and sisters, sometimes we don't think of people from, that are different, maybe whatever, skin color or different, whatever, nationalities. There's only one race, the human race. God created man in his image. He only created mankind. He didn't create types of men, kinds of men, just one. Um, there can be different, different flavors, different colors, darker and lighter, but one man. It's a tragedy to see men um, kill each other and and assassinate each other and humiliate each other. It's what we are. It's one of the conditions of man is that uh, we tend to control other men. It's our desire of our heart because we're wicked and desperately wicked in that. Um, but that was a good word. And, and it is to know that our Christian brothers and sisters are under deep suffering there. They are truly going door to door. They're dragging people out. And I pray, and my prayer is that they would suffer shortly. I'd rather they be beheaded immediately than, than played with. It was one of the problems with dealing with Muslims is they like to play with their food and they don't want to. They don't want to kill you outright. They want to play with you first, and that's that's a torment. So we pray for them that the, that it would be swift. I pray that the persecution would either be swift or that it would be an escape for those that they would escape to the mountains, as the Bible says, and they would be freed to worship. So there's a lot going on. We're going we're going back to Genesis. Hate to be a start on a downer. Maybe we can end on a on a positive. Okay, but the glory of God is is the is the goal in every service many of you guys maybe you don't understand what the purpose is in preaching week by week some of you might feel like i'm beating you up or i'm giving you some word that's a personal attack or something like that it's not the case at all i read the word god speaks through his word i write down what he speaks and i deliver it to you but the goal is not to to beat you up or to demean you the goal is that you would be drawn to the glory of god god desires reconciliation with all men to himself he sends his son to die for us in order that we can go through that mediator, the only one that speaks the language of God, so we can go through him and he can speak to God on our behalf. And he did that in the form of dying on a cross for our salvation and, and drawing us to himself and drawing us to the Father. The Father's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. He wants us as his children and as, as, his, as his own. And it's up to us. We can be stubborn children or we can be... Um, happy children. You know, you see these little babies, we were in an airport, and this little baby was squirming and crying and screaming, and the dad's trying to hold the baby, and it's like, you know, holding a pile of snakes, you know. He sets the child down, and the child screams more. That's us. We don't want to be in God's hands, but we don't want to walk alone either. Make up your mind. Run to the Father and let him draw you in and hold you and care for you. Quit trying to kick against the goads and be drawn to him. There's so much going on in, the, in that first chapter of of Genesis, and we what we covered over the last last Sunday. So we had a Sunday morning service, a Sunday evening service, both oriented towards that. And I want to kind of go over just a couple things so I can catch up if you weren't here. Uh, it, if you went through every word and took it back to the Hebrew and did all the development on that, it'd take months. It would take a long time of a lot of study to draw out all that's there. So we can't hit everything. It's just the nature of time in our lives, but. There's some, there's some deep things that we need to see. The first says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it says the earth was at that point formless and void. And then it says the Spirit of God hovered over the earth. So in the first part, in the beginning, God created, we really looked at that was out of nothing, ex nihilo, everything, omnia, facta, everything was made. God spoke out of nothing and made everything. And then we have that battle in our culture today, started about 1850 or so there with Darwin, and he really promoted this thought that, you know, we came from an amoeba to, a, to whatever, a frog, to a whale, to a person. 
And that's just not what God's word says. It doesn't make us foolish to believe what God's word says. It makes the world foolish to not run to the Father and see what he says. So the only eyewitness to that moment was God himself, potentially the angels as well. He knows. He wrote it down. He wrote it down again in Job. He writes it down again in Psalms. In those three places, he gives all kinds of detail. God himself explicitly speaking details of the guy, the only personality that was there, gives explicit details of what it was like when there was nothing and then when there was everything. He was there. We weren't there. So men speculate and, and so on and try to come up with ideas. Well, it must have taken X how many bazillion years because of all these things that happened. And we'll, we'll look at that today and see if there's a, a point there to apply. But So out of nothing, everything was made. We recognize that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit was there. The Bible says that in the beginning, God, and that, that word is, um, is a plural, though it's a singular, so it's the Godhead. We see in uh, John that it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything that was, has been made, that was made, was made by God. But we see the word, Word, cap capitalized, and we see that that Word means Jesus. So in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was there in the beginning. Nothing was made that has been made that he did not make. So the Word in Hebrew was the word bara. We learned that last week, that bara means to create. I'd say it's bara. But the word means to create. And it's a word that's specialized only for God. Only God can be called a creator. We tend to use that word, oh, that little girl, she's like, oh, actually, Carrington. We would say that Carrington's very creative. Her mother is so wise in what she did when Carrington was small. She had a big table and all these kind of things like markers and coloring and scissors and stuff and this is your table do what you do and she's a very we would say she was a creative person but the reality is Carrington didn't make any of those things she didn't make any of the molecules the paper molecules or the pen molecules or any of those things she just put those things together so she could be creative but she's not a creator God alone is a creator because he took nothing and he made everything. It's a specialized word only to be used by God, for God, to describe him and his ability. So we could be an architect or an engineer or designer, but technically we're not creators. We take what God has and we make it into stuff. So we need to be very careful in how we perceive ourselves as we measure ourselves versus God, the creator, who out of nothing, everything. So then we see that God has no need of light, the next thing. So first we see the creator, that he calls out of nothing the existence of light. All light, all kinds of light. Not the sun at this point, but all light. All energy, nuclear energy, electrical energy, every kind of ultraviolet and supernatural light that exists, every kind of light that exists, all the energy therein, electromagnetic, etc. It's all in this instantaneous statement, the first words that we ever hear God speak in his word, let there be light. He speaks and it comes into being. It was nothing, then it was everything. A lot of people have this argument about distant starlight and stuff. It takes ever how many bazillion years to get from this star to the earth. And, you know, so that means the earth is a billion years old. No, God says, let there be light and light is there. The light is there. When he puts the stars in place, in the next couple days here, when he puts the stars in place, the light is there. It's not a time of, well, it takes three billion years from the most distant star that we can see to get to the earth. If he says, let there be light, there's light. If you don't believe that God can create, what's the purpose in having a God? If he's just a man that can only do what you can do, well, then we're in pitiful shape. Because I know what Jed does, he puts up blinds. I know what Jimmy does, he fixes boats. I know what Zach does, he builds houses. So it takes three people just to come up with a houseboat with, with uh, blinds in it. God does it all by himself with a spoken word. And we'll see more about that. What does it take to accomplish all that's been made by man up to this point in the United States or in the world? If you look at all the construction, it's taken thousands, millions of men over ever how many years to produce all this stuff. And in an instant, God said, let there be light. He forms the earth. He creates the plants. He forms the animals. He forms man. And he does it all by a word. We don't have that ability. And so the issue is he separated the light from the darkness. 
And then he named them both. And he verifies that each day of Genesis 1, uh, uh, chapter 1, he verifies that each day was a day. It was exactly one day. Though we don't measure time necessarily um, the way uh, the Bible measures time. It says the evening and the morning the first day. So the Jews measure time from evening to evening. We measure it from midnight to midnight because of the way we figure hours. But in the, in the Bible, in a lot of Arabic countries, they figure it by the time that you can see light in the morning. That would be the first hour of the day. And then by the time you go to sleep at night, you know, when it, the first hour of darkness, you would figure you'd start over with the first hour. So they would have two 12-hour segments in a 24-hour day. We don't necessarily do that. doesn't make us wrong. doesn't make them right. But the, the biblical measure here is from evening to evening. So the issue of division of the light from the darkness, it has a few ramifications for us. Uh, like I said, it's how we figure time. But there's also this picture of good being taken out of evil, of light being taken out of darkness. If you uh, today ask any person, uh, does black represent good or bad? They would tell you it represented bad, right? Darkness represents bad. Brightness, sunshine, yellow is a happy color, etc. All these things... It's just a natural thing that God put us to know, put in us to know, that darkness is bad and lightness is good. Um, Job 38 is one of the places in the Bible where you'll see an awful lot about creation. Job, Psalms, and Genesis, where you're going to find a majority of the scriptures uh, related to the initial six days of creation. So go to Job. He's way, way back there in the, in the annals of time. He's probably the oldest written book of the Bible. Um, sometime around or before the time of Abraham, he's way back there, has a very perfected view of who God is, a more realistic view, a little bit more supernatural view. Look at 38. Uh, we can start in verse 12 there. We're not going to read it all, but it says, Have you commanded the morning? This is God speaking now. This is the part in Job where God responds to Job. Okay, so God's responding to Job, and he's saying, uh, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the end of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? Uh, verse 15. It says, the wicked, from the wicked, their light is withheld. And in verse 18 it says, or sorry, verse 19 says, uh, where's the way to the dwelling of the light and darkness? Where's its place? So this question is, God knows this, but we don't. Where does light come from? Well, we say, well, it comes from a star. Well, where did the star come from? Where does light come from? Well, where's the light of the moon come from? Well, it's a reflected light off the sun. Some say the moon produces its own light. I don't know. Not, a, not that great of a scientist. But I did stay at a Holiday Inn. Whatever. But I don't know. So where did it come from? It came from God. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Where does it go? Where does light go if it travels on? This is just a, a momentary side note. Where does it go? doesn't stop when it hits the earth it bounces off the earth where does it go it continues on in x-ray and and uh, what's the word uh, ultraviolet light penetrates and continues on it doesn't stop sound does the same thing you need to think about that when you use harsh words a sound wave never stops so when you dog your wife or you dog your kids that sound wave passes through them through their ears and continues on into eternity it keeps on going those kind of light waves and sound waves, they just continue on. Where do they go? God knows. We don't. We can't measure it. We don't have the ability to measure. We don't have the intelligence to measure. We think we do. We listen to some Johnny Swift on the radio or some guy, and he's telling us how brilliant he is, and he knows where he doesn't know. He can't get there. We can't send any kind of craft to get to the end of where the light ends. We don't know. God knows. So what's the purpose of darkness? Is there a purpose? Is, it all, is all darkness bad? Not necessarily. God pulls the light out of the darkness. Go to Job chapter 7. The purpose of darkness, what's its purpose? If he took the light out of the darkness, what's the purpose of the darkness? Is there not a time, Job 7 verse 1, is there not a time of hard service for man on earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hired man? like a servant who earnestly desires the shade and like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages. So I've been allotted months of futility and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, Where shall I, when shall I arise and the night be ended? For I have had my fill of tossing until dawn. 
Verse 6, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they're spent without hope. Verse 7, oh, remember that my life is but a breath, and my eyes will never see good again. What's the purpose of darkness? If you've not, anybody ever worked to the point where you like, I, I, I'll just give you the, my example, but I worked for this guy, and, and he wanted me to come over there and drill a bunch of holes in a rock quarry, and we didn't have a, we didn't have a, a track drill, we just had the hammer drill. So we had to put a two-foot rod, a four-foot rod, a six-foot and eight-foot rod. So you start with a two-foot rod, then you take the jackhammer, put it on the four-foot, and then you do the eight, six-foot, then the eight-foot, then you move all the rods over. I'm going to tell you something. After about 38 holes that I drilled that day, I literally could not lift my arm to open the car door. I'm like, can you open the door? I was so beat that I was so, I was so exhausted that the only thing I wanted was rest. I'm not exaggerating. I was like... I couldn't, I just couldn't get the door open. I was bushed. It was a tough day. It was about a 10-hour day of just drilling holes. And I realized I'm not a rock quarry man. It's not what I do. I'm, I'd repair bicycles before I go back to the rock quarry. It was rough. But the point is, when you come home, I know women, I know people, but not everyone does physical work, but people do work that is exhausting to their minds as well. It's not like women don't work hard or certain men in certain jobs don't work hard. It's just... When you come home and you're that emotionally and you know, physically spent, what is the only thing that you want? And it's rest. Where does rest come? It comes in the darkness. What good does the dark night possess? The dangers and temptations that are there are better spent by men in the safety of their homes and beds, resting in preparation for the sunrise that they may arise at first light to work and to glory in the light of God's design. Psalm 104 is one of the, one of the power psalms. Go there if you wish. Just past Job, Psalm 104. It's one of the power psalms on creation. Psalm 73 or so is another one. Um, Psalm 104. Just 19 and 20, especially 20. It says, God, speaking of, O bless the Lord, O my soul, my Lord, my God, you are very great, verse 1. He appointed the moon for seasons, and the sun knows it's going down. You made darkness, and it is night, in which all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar after their prey, and they seek their food from God. When the sun rises, they gather together and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until evening. Do you really want to be wandering around in the darkness with the lions? Where is your place in the darkness? Your place is in the home. Your place is in the bed. It's like the old-timers used to say, nothing good happens on the street after 10 p.m. Be at home. Where do the fornications and the adultery and the drunkenness and the fighting, where does it come from? I was talking to somebody and talking about these sporting events and you have sporting events with no alcohol versus sporting events with alcohol the ones with alcohol you end up with fights in the stands the one with no alcohol you just end up with people arguing about whose team is better where does those things where do those where do those what's the word contentions come from i mean there might be a trigger there with alcohol but i'm saying a lot of times as darkness falls it hides the sin. It allows Satan to work. It's not where we need to be. We need to be in the light. We're people called into the light. Psalm 91.5 has that one about uh, not being afraid of the terrors that occur by night. We don't really think about that in our country because in the nighttime, we don't have to travel by foot. We can get in a car and turn the headlights on and, and go where we want to go. But, uh, but these people are, you know, I mean... I'd say those people in Afghanistan don't go much anywhere by night unless they're trying to escape. So the Bible repeatedly calls God's people to come out of darkness and into the light. The Bible calls it the light of his glory. The Bible calls it the light of his grace. Jesus called the light of the world. We're called out of darkness. This is a real picture of this very first part on day one of Let There Be Light. This is a very real picture of God calling the light out of the darkness as people that find christ when when i say we find him he finds us he calls us out of the darkness that's what he said of israel they have seen a great light they didn't even know they were looking for the light and the light shows up and he's the light of men they weren't even looking for him but when he shows up they're like "Ooh, this is the one those that were looking recognize that he was the one if you've been called out of darkness and into the light why do you go back and play in the darkness? Be light. Let there be light. So day one was about the earth being formless and void, darkness on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovering, vibrating over the face of the waters, the introduction of energy 
God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light, it was good. God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, so the evening and the morning was the first day. One day, the day Yom, evening and morning, not a thousand years, not a space between there and day two, there was light. There was no light, and then there was light. Day two. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. We're back in Genesis now, 1-6. I'm sorry, I should have told you that. Genesis 1-6. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Pretty short little thing there for, uh, you know, basically forming the entire earth and separating the water or the liquid and gases of the earth from that of the atmosphere. That word firmament is kind of an interesting word. Basically means a stretched out film um that's not the word i'm looking for uh canopy no it was a a, a a thin sheet or stretched out space that's the word and it's the technical word if i want to read you something out of job again job 38 i in poor thinking i took my little tab off of there so i have to go look for it again now i remember why i put that on there Job 38 again, verse 7. Something happens here at about this time. And it's something that we gotta, we got to just make mention of. I don't want to get too deep in it because, for one thing, I don't know that much about it. And so Jed's going to preach on it next week. No, I'm just no, we're going to move on from there. But, but um, it says, where were you, verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding, Job. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its foundations, uh, to what were its foundations fashioned? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So we have a mention of the angelic host here. And we don't really have a point in Genesis where we see them created. But according to this, sometime, either in eternity past, or at the point of let there be light, but definitely before the foundations of the earth were established, it says that the morning stars sang together, all the sons of God shouted for joy. In my thinking, I would have to think that, um, I don't want to say for a fact, because I wasn't there, but one of the reasons God created light, he didn't need light. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need us. He's completely self, what's the word? Oriented, self-contained, need anything but i believe the reason he made light was so that this realm of the angelic beings can see what he's doing i don't know if you ever read the chronicles of narnia one of my favorite books because it is about from creation to the fall if you read it the whole series the whole seven book deal to the return and uh, ultimately heaven but in the part where in the magician's nephew where the very first book where you see the earth being formed and Aslan going around and creating everything. And you hear the animals, and as the earth is awakened, you just hear this kind of increase. This is in a book. I don't even know if they made a movie about this. But you hear this increase of sound and joyful singing and, like, glory being given to Aslan for what he's producing. And just so you know, we can see that again at the coming of Christ. Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. The angels are singing and the shepherds are witnessing this as the angels again see truly a new creation being taken care of christ coming and redeeming the nations they see it now and the angels are like finally ever since he created it the first time this is our we're getting to see it remade a new heavens a new earth that men can be a part of it's kind of interesting so sometime when the firmament is established the angels show up so that's a good, that's a positive thing. Uh, so the second day then with presumably angels watching, God calls forth the firmament from the waters of the earth. I don't know what it looks like. They think, um, you know, thinkers I've read on this and whatever, but the, you know, theologians and others that have dwelt on this over the centuries believe that this is part of the creation of the most outermost atmosphere as far away as outer, outer space. There's no stars in it at this point. There's just outer, there's just a space. He's making a space. 
And in this space, he has a smaller space, which is the earth and all that's in it. And what has to happen in this is this is the establishment of all the things that it takes for earth to be productive. Everything that God creates is created, completely formed, and foundational and ready for use, including man. Man and woman, when they're created, are ready to have children. They're completely sexually mature, physically mature. He's capable of speech. He's capable of analyzing the animals and naming them. He's capable of gardening when he sees his woman. He's capable of procreation. He's capable of producing offspring, just like the animals were, fully formed. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth is what he tells them. You can't tell a two-year-old that. You have to tell a mature animal that, a mature person that. So this earth that God creates is completely fully formed, and it's perfectly formed. If it's imperfect, and it's another kind of a thing that makes you kind of wonder about the evolution thing, because there's things going on here that have to be in place for other things to happen. And one of the things is you've got to have air. You've got to have oxygen. You've got to have nitrogen. You've got to have the, the, the way that CO2 and uh, carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide are, are handled. And so all that is involved in this firmament thing. Because what we see next is we see the earth pulled out of the water and plants arrive. Without the proper mix of air and so on, there's no plant growth. They just die. It's in a, if it's in a vacuum, they just die. So God's producing all this stuff, and he's speaking it out of nothing. The angels, the ministers of fire are brought about, and the Bible calls them myriads of myriads, thousands upon thousands, millions of angels are observing this. Okay? So he stretched the firmament out of this. He speaks it into place. It's more, it's more protective of the earth in this era. And we see that by Noah that it's never rained on the earth. So however this worked with the dew of the ground or a greenhouse, we don't know. But it was something different than what we have now. People lived a lot longer. Animals grew a lot larger. Death was a lot slower coming. So the only earth that has the right amount of oxygen, nitrogen, carbon dioxide, so on, to provide a place that plants and animals and people can exist on the only one that exists in the universe, they've not found another one yet, they keep trying. This is the only one. This is it. That one, God provides completely prepared and ready for men to arrive on. There's no place or chance for evolution in this. There's too many things that have to happen for, for it's just, there's just not that much chance in the world. It's the whole, we've talked about it before, you know, you take a bucket, even if you had all the parts of a Rolex watch, if you had all the individual parts, and you put it in a bucket, and you begin to shake it, I don't care if you shook it for 2,000 years, it's never going to be a functioning Rolex watch, or even a Timex watch, or even a watch. It won't be anything but a bunch of beat-up parts. With design, there has to be a designer. With creation, there has to be a creator. And without it, all you got is a bunch of junk. And so he creates the earth fully functional, ready to go. So this atmosphere is completely unique to the earth. There's no place for chance in that. And this initial, this is really interesting, this initial formation of the atmosphere will come again in eternity future, Psalms 148. Praise him, you heavens of heavens, verse 4, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. This initial firmament that no longer is the same as it was because of man's sinfulness will be returned in the future. It's something to look forward to. The next thing is day three. So that's enough on day two unless you've got a a comment, question, or whatever, but we'll save that to the end. Day three, we have the dry ground. So the first day, what was produced? Anybody know? First day of creation, what was produced? Amanda? Light. Amanda says yes, light. She agrees. The day two, what was produced? The, the firmament. The, the, the shape of the earth, maybe, and the firmament around it. So day one is light, day two, firmament, okay? Day three, let's see. God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, let the dry land appear, and it was so. God calls the dry land earth, gathering together the waters. He calls seas, God saw it was good. God said, 
Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seeds, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. God saw that it was good. The evening and the morning was the third day. Let the dry land appear. So day one, light. Day two, firmament. Day three, earth. The tierra, the, the uh, um, what's the word? Terrain. The, the gathering together of the continental shape, whatever it was. So we have a separation of water and the earth, and then we have the growth of plants. So if you look at the layers of rocks and soils and all these things, you know, we have something that happened between the initial creation and now, and that's the worldwide flood of Noah's day. There's flood evidence all around the earth. I've been in the great state of Texas, the highest point in Texas, Guadalupe Mountains, 8,000 feet. And when you go there and there and then at Carlsbad's Caverns, which is about the same height, which is only maybe 50 miles north there in New Mexico, there's signs, you know, this area was a big coral reef was completely covered by water. Okay. The whole earth was covered by water. I tell you again, if there's 8,000 foot of water at Carlsbad Caverns, water does not taper off. There's 8,000 foot of water here. And I dare say the highest point in Tennessee is just right at a mile, which is 6,000 feet. So there was 2,000 feet above where we're, oh, what, where are we at? 6,000 feet above us, we're only 2,000 foot. There was a lot of water here, and it covered all of this. So yes, so we'll see water damage on terrain, on mountains. If you fly over Utah, you can see water erosion, or you fly over Peru too, same thing. Super dry desert. And you look at these mountains from the top, and it looks like if you had a big pile of sand and you've dumped five gallons of water on it, it's got all these ridges and fingers coming off it. That's from water erosion. It's from the waters receding. So we do have things in the earth now that we can measure and look at, and we see fossils in the earth. The reason we, we know that the fossils had to come later because there's been no sin here. With sin comes death. So in this initial creation, you can't have a dead dinosaur bone laying in a pile of dirt if there's no death. It has to come later. It has to come in the flood. So in this, the dry land is scraped together, however it's layered. All the minerals and all the, the good things of the soil that need to be there, chemicals and so on, the irons and all that stuff, it's already there. It's fully formed. It's ready to be used by men as God tells them to take dominion over the whole earth. Learn to use all the stuff that's in the earth. I put it there for you. I being God. Um, all the nutrition is there. Like the rest of creation, it's, it's there pulled together, completely ready for use by man. God doesn't, God doesn't make half-created things. He just doesn't. If he makes it, it's completely functional and usable. Even a people. There's an incredible amount of design in creation that we don't take into account. In Cumberland County, you builders will know, I know myself, if you want to build something in Cumberland County, the first thing you have to do is you've got to go down to the, to the uh, oh, codes and all that, and you have to get a thing called a SWIP plan, a stormwater runoff plan. And they get to charge you the $200, and then they draw a little picture of the thing, and they tell you what you're going to do. So you have to account for the amount of water that's going to fall on the roof of the structure that you're going to build on the property. It's got to run down, run into gutters, and it's got to run into an underground thing where it's sorted through different layers of gravel and sand and so on before it goes out into the ditch. And the reason is to control flooding. So if we have, before we have grass and dirt and things like that, and it rains, well, the, the, the dirt and all that, the loamy stuff, it all soaks up the water so that it doesn't all run off and flood the guy below you. But when you scrape off that absorption la layer of dirt on their property, you got to, and you build a house on there, nothing to absorb the water. The water hits. If you get an inch of rain, that means you got an inch of rain over your whole surface of your whole roof. And this one's 60 by 100. And I don't know how much rain that is, but it's quite a few thousand gallons, I'm sure, just an inch of rain. It's got to go somewhere. Where's it going to go? We can't just let it run off. God does that in this design. He has a place for the water to go. He has seas. He has rivers. He has runoff spots. The problem comes, some things that we attribute to judgment of God is man's poor planning. And I'm not demeaning what happened at Waverly, Tennessee. That's a terrible tragedy. But what happened was the, these buildings that these people drowned in and so on were in the area that the stormwater runoff runs through. Where I grew up south of Houston, they, they had floodplains. And when I was growing up, the way they'd build a house is they'd build a form, and they'd have to build the form this tall because we were, 
you know, 50 miles inland and only 50 feet above sea level. It's just totally flat. So they built a form real tall, and then they would grade sand up to it. And that way there, they could build in floodplains that were, say, 50-year floodplains. Or, and now they're down to 15-year floodplains. There's so many people that moved to Houston, and they're building in 15-year floodplains. That means really good chance of a really severe flood within 15 years. Where before, it wasn't even legal to build in less than 100-year floodplains. And more and more people came and changed the law. So the expectation has got to be at some point my house is going to be flooded if I'm built in a 15-year floodplain. We can see where the water goes. God made channels in the earth. There's underground streams. There's above-ground streams. There's runoff. There's channels. And then there's lakes and holding areas that this water goes, and ultimately it makes it to the ocean, and it's reprocessed into rain. And if you think that happened by evolution, think about the design right there. Man cannot come up with a design today better than what God has produced back then, and he spoke it into existence. We've got to give God the glory for what he's done. We, we attribute a lot of judgment to God that in some cases is just men's poor taking of dominion. So God, and this was another thing I discovered, is this is, uh, it's something a man needs to remember. So I told you that about Waverly. Look at Psalm 105. Sorry we're jumping back and forth, but these are the two areas that this, between the Psalm 3, 4, and 5, and, and Job 38 is, and chapter 7, and, verse 30, and chapter 38 is where we really see a lot about creation, so we've got to go back and forth between the two. Psalm 105, 7. Psalm 105, 7. Here it says, He is the Lord our God. So he's talking about before that, give thanks to the Lord. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Talk about how great he is. Tell your neighbors and friends how great God is. Verse 7. He's the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand years. When God initially made the creation, he built his judgments into the earth. You ever think about that? Hurricanes. All these things that we, can, we give uh, blasphemous calls out to God when they occur. He put hurricanes in the earth when he built the earth. He put tornadoes, he put cyclones, he put rogue waves, he put hail, he put flooding rains. They're all built into the machine, this giant creative machine that God created. It's all built in there. There's times for these things. Droughts, heat waves, blizzards. He says, do you, the Bible says in Job, do you know where God stores all the snow? Do you know where he stores the hail? Has God ever used hail as a judgment against people? Yes, he has, Sodom and Gomorrah. And another time there in, um, in Chronicles. Hailstones in weight would have been about the same as a Volkswagen bug. That's a big hailstone. Does God use hail to judge men? Yes. Does God use tornadoes to judge men? Yes. I, I can't explain why, but I can tell you that these are put in place in preparation for God's judgments if he needs them. And what they also do is they prove the pitifulness of man as we stand before God. We should be t looking at those things and going, man, God is big. Man, he's powerful. His judgments are righteous and just, the Bible says. Wow. They help these events. I'm telling you, when these events happen, the first place people run to is where? Churches. Why? Because they go, God is a lot bigger than I am. I can't control so much water. That was a terrible tragedy in Waverly. The man said he was in his house and had two children in his arms, and the water burst through the house, snatched the two little babies away, and he was able to save another two kids that he had in there. Wow, God's judgment. What does he do? He goes to a church. Pastors come there and begin to pray with the man. It takes things like that because we're so blinded and so shallow we forget who God is. We forget his power and his majesty, his omnipotence, which means all powerfulness. We forget his glory. So we, we begin to see things like this help us to see our need, our desperate need for his care and his salvation, and that no man can truly bear up to the wrath of God. I was in a hurricane on a ship off the coast of the Philippines back in the day, and for three days, man, a big ship, we just went where the water took us. I mean, you think of a big ship, you think it just goes where it wants. No. Which stayed out because the ones that were on shore in the Philippines all ended up on top of the land when it was done. Big ships. 
God's power is tremendous. The power of the water is tremendous. And it should make us very, feel very small and humble and grateful for saving us. There's a big thing about judgment in water. I think I'm going to write a devotional about it next week. But, but um, in water is judgment. And it says in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no sea. Sorry, Amanda. You sea-loving people, beach lovers. There's no sea. But if you look at the Bible, you'll see that Jesus has control over the seas. He walks on the judgment. And you'll see that a man, when he's baptized, he's dipped in judgment and he's raised to walk in newness of life as he's drawn out of the judgment. But the seas are, are chaotic. So the last thing here is the blessing of plant life. So he built judgment into the creation. He drew the dry land out. We got air now. We got light. So now we can have plant life. So we needed both the light. We've got to get in the right order. We need the light. Then we need the right amount of oxygen and so on. Now we can have plants. Um, evolution theory teaches that the amoeba and all that little tiny jazz came before plant life. You can't have animal without plant. They've got to eat something. God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, who seeds in itself on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields the seed according to its kind, the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw it was good the evening and the morning, the third day. The blessings of plant life. Each plant has the ability in itself to reproduce itself, just like a man does, just like a dog. You never see a dog have a cat. You never see a cat have a worm. You just, well, they might have worms. You never see a cat have an elephant. You never see anything. You never see a peach tree have an apple. You never see an apple have a grapefruit. Nothing ever changes from one thing to another. You can have variance in kind, but it's got to remain in that kind. You can have a peach cross with an apricot and, again, what do you get, a nectarine, whatever, something like that. But you can cross these different things of the same, you know, within that same kind, but you can't take a peach and stick it on an apple and have a papple. It just, doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. And it says right here why. It says that each thing produces its own seed that produces its own fruit, that produces its own seed, that produces its own fruit, that produces its own seed, produces its own fruit. The reason we got wolves today is because we had wolves back then. The reason we got peaches today is because they had peaches, grapes, oranges, whatever, way back then. You can hybridize things, but it still has to stay within its own kind. I mean, the original tomato was like this big, and now we got tomatoes this big. But the, the, uh, like a, a native tomato is very small, but through selective breeding, you can make a bigger tomato, but you can't take a tomato and turn it into a pineapple. It's always a tomato. We need to believe that. It's what the Word says, and it's been proven true. You never see a horse turn into an elephant. It's always a horse. It might be a smaller horse or a bigger horse. It's always a horse. So... Evolution says that something over a long period of time could be converted to something else. There's no transitory transition thing like this in any kind of the rock layers, any kind of fossil layers. There is none. There's no half grasshopper, half bird. There's no half grasshopper, half elephant. There's no nothing like that. It's an elephant, and it's an elephant way back then, and it's going to be an elephant until Christ returns. And it's the same thing with plants. So God's word says that things only produce after their own kind. There's no known transition, I tell you. And indeed, Romans 3, 4 says, Indeed, let God be true then, but every man be a liar. We've got to go back to God's word and see his word, see if his word is truth. The fool in his heart says, No, God. He knows there's a God. He chooses not to follow God because his heart is, uh, is wicked, is uh, deceitful and desperately wicked, and only God knows it. Man himself doesn't even know it. He thinks he's got his stuff together. But when it comes down to it, his heart is against God. So here's the application for today. It's in Romans 1, 19 and 20. It goes a little bit further than that. But in Romans, Paul, speaking to the Romans, he's they got this Greek influence, a lot of gods and so on. But if there's other gods, then there's one God that created even them, the heavenly host. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that were made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that man is without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. Their foolish hearts were darkened. They were willfully darkened. Psalm 115, verse 3, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. 
Psalm 116.4. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple, the stupid, the dummy. I was brought low. That's me. I was the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. You've got to recognize who God is. You've got to recognize that he is the creator God who made all things. You need to humble yourself before him. And also, when you're talking to others about things, about spiritual things, point to the creation as a call to the unsaved. It's really difficult in these days now. We're all really addicted to our cell phones. Our eyes are glued to those things. Our eyes are glued to the insides of our houses. We don't go outside like we used to do. But all of creation proclaims the majesty of God and the glory of God. So if I go outside and I look at the tree and I, and I lay under the tree, and I look at the branches, and then I read a book about the tree and I find out that every single leaf, every single little fiber on the leaf has a corresponding micro root under the soil that gathers nutrition, that provides nutrition to that single leaf, I have to say that's a design. And that's a tree. How much more is going on in you? So when we talk to our friends, we take them outside, and we, we need to. Take your children outside and let them investigate those things and tell them that God created that thing. And then read books, Christian books, biblical books, old books that talk about the processes of the things that are going on in the human body and how God made all this thing that you walk around with the supercomputer that's attached to the top of your neck, the eyes that have all the different processes and the rods and the cones and the cornea and the retina and, and the ability to dilate and the ability to turn the picture upside down in your eye and process it right in your brain so that you can see it and it makes sense. All that, it didn't happen by chance. It happened by God and he spoke it into a being. I want us to sing a song. I think, do we got the words for that? The doxology? I want you to stand if you would. We'll pray after this. It's a short song. I bet you know the words. You don't think you know the words, but you know the words. That would be easier to know if it was on there. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. You've got to sing loud because I'm not that great of a singer. Amen. The one amen I got all morning. God bless you, Zach. Thank you, brother. Here we go. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Father, this morning, Lord, we give you the glory and honor that you're due. We're so sorry for taking on ourselves this false sense of who we are. Father, thank you for creating us in your image, the image of God you created them, man and woman you created them. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray for these that are here this morning that in their minds, in their spirit right now, that their hearts would be convicted that they've, they've thought more highly of themselves than they ought. And they thought that they were the creator. And they made images of things in their own likeness and plants and animals and they worshiped them instead of the most high holy God that you are. Forgive us, Lord, for that. Forgive us for having other priorities in our lives that we think are greater or more important or, or more critical than recognizing the God of the universe who made us. We thank you, Lord, for Christ and for the sending of your Son, without which we would be separated from you for eternity. And we ask for, in humiliation, Lord, we come before you and say, save us. Have mercy on us, a bunch of sinners, Lord. We're arrogant and we're prideful. We think we got the answers to things, but we don't. Lord, reveal yourself to us through your word and through the preaching of the word, Lord. Father, we're so grateful for the health represented in this room. I pray for those that are sick and separated from, from this body this morning because of sickness, for Miss Bobby, Bob Coy, um, for Vince and others. Lord, we pray for our friend Jenny Dalton as she's dealing with cancer, Lord. But even in that, Lord, in the sickness, Lord, I pray that you use the sickness to break their spirit, that they would be drawn to you and recognize again your goodness and your care. Restore us, Lord. Give us the zeal that we had when we were new believers, Lord. Give us a joy. Return to us the joy of our salvation. 
Father, thank you again for all that you've done this morning, Lord. If any be here today without the Messiah, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. We're grateful now, Lord, for this opportunity we have to have fellowship with one another and eating. Lord, I pray that the word that's spoken today was the word you had. Lord, I pray that your lampstand be in place in this fellowship, Lord, and you not remove it from us. And that your Holy Spirit would fill the stand, Lord, without which we have nothing. So grateful again, Lord, for this opportunity, for this place, for these that have come, Lord, for those that prepared the meal and the work that was done prior to this. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a seat for just a second, I want to give you an opportunity after the service. I, I don't want, I hate to have to do business after a, a service because I, I, I don't want you to forget what was spoken. I, I left you a little sheet there. Take that home and maybe look at those. Just read through them. Read through them one time. Read through them with your kids, whatever. But those are just different scriptures throughout the Bible that point back to God's creation. They're good. Put them on your fridge. Maybe memorize them. Stick it on your bathroom mirror or something. Memorize some of those. Work on those with your kids there a little bit. I need to have a short business meeting. And I promise it will be like the wind unless there's something that I'm, I'm not knowing about. Um, I, I, one thing I want to I say, and this is just for whoever's out there. And there's some that they're saying that they've kind of lost their zeal. They've kind of lost their joy. They think maybe the church has, is, is losing that. I'm just going to give you this word of encouragement this morning. Ever forward. Don't stop reading the word. Don't stop listening to preaching. Good preaching. Don't stop serving others. God is not unfaithful. He will remember the works that you do in ministering to him. That's Hebrews 6.10. He's not going to forget. Keep going forward. Don't think because you're in, a, in a, a low spot that the whole body is in a low spot. It may just be you. God is unchanging. He's waiting for you to return. Just return to him. He'll do the work. Business meeting, we got about 16,500 in the checking, 18,000 in the savings. Um, if you'd like to come continue to contribute to the building fund, that's up to you. Um, we would take any monies, just if you designate a building fund, it's going to go to the putting on of the roof next year. We definitely need a roof. There's a couple leaks. Another one showed up over there. Did you see that one right there? Uh, there's one right in there. And it's this one right here. It's just a, it's a 50-year-old building, and so it's showing its age. Like me. And uh, <laughs> so, um, so, I mean, I'm saying that's somewhere between twenty and $30,000. we will have to take the roof off. We'll have to insulate the roof, put the roof on. So I'm saying it would be somewhere in that range, and I, I strongly would beg you uh, to allow us to hire someone to put that on and not uh, do it ourselves. Um, so if you want to give towards that, just, just designate it to the building fund, okay? And we'll do that. Okay, so uh, next thing, uh, the budget items. So our budget is year to year. We do it in October. If you've got something on your heart, you're like, man, I really want to go on this mission trip. I really like to accomplish this thing. Get it to Amy or me um, or Janice and uh, Janice Coy, and, um, and we'll get it situated in the budget. We'll take a little bit of time with some of the deacons probably to orient the budget, move some money around and stuff like that. Um, you guys are very generous givers. I'm grateful to that. Um, um, a lot of the, you know, some people are frustrated right now. I'm telling you, it's very difficult. We made a lot of our direction of our church towards international missions, of which in the ever how many years we've hit about between 50 and 70,000 a year that we've spent on international missions. And we've just not been able to go. It's not, it's not my fault. I don't wanna, I don't wanna be a, not take responsibility for something, it's not my fault. If they close the airport and say you can't fly, it ain't me. That's somebody else, but it ain't me. However, just because you can't go there doesn't mean you can't minister here. And so uh, we have sent an awful lot of money to uh, Zambia, uh, Guatemala, Peru, Mexico, whatever. And that's just what we're going to have to do right now. There are some trips coming up, I believe, and it looks like some of the stuff is loosening. Um, so um, potentially we could go to Nicaragua here in the next little bit, and uh, there's a real good chance we're going to what Dad talked about in Mexicali there in February to build. Um, so be in prayer. Just see what you're not doing and start doing something. Don't point to other people what they are doing and condemn them. Just see what you're not doing and do it. Go and minister. Minister to others here. We have money for benevolence. We have opportunity in that. I mean, let's use it. Operation Christmas Child, November 21, uh, is when we're going to pack the boxes, I believe. So you'll have to talk to people that are 
more knowledgeable about that than I. Tracy Bisbee is one. Amy Strong is another. And see what we need for stuff to put in the boxes. It's I think it's 750 this year to send a box. Do you remember? To ten dollars, ten dollars a box. God bless America, man. It's good, huh? And the postal service, and Good Samaritans, Samaritans Purse. Okay, so ten dollars a box, whatever. So we're sending twenty two hundred fifty boxes this year. So we always have a great time together packing the boxes and stuff. If you want to bring stuff for the boxes, you need to talk to those girls, ladies, and uh, ask them, uh, you know, what size, what quantity and stuff. But we're going to do 250 boxes, so whatever you buy, buy 250 of them. Pencils and crayons and drawing stuff and uh, some socks and different things. But we need to make sure that we, uh, they'll buy whatever's left when we get to that point. But we're going to do that November 21. We need to have the stuff here before that. We can put a box out and start collecting that stuff. But it's something, it'll be here before you know it. And I really don't have anything other than that unless there's something that someone needs to bring up that I forgot to bring up. I know that uh, one of the groups here in the church is wanting to have a family night, uh, try to have it once a month. I'm hoping that you'll include yourself in that. Um, uh, we used to do it when we were at, uh, it does seem to work better in the winter than the summer as people are traveling so much in the summer, but, but uh, in the school year, I should say, it works better. And uh, we used to do that, and we used to meet at the state park and whatever. But so look forward to that, I'm, I'm thinking, the next month here or so. We're going to try and have one of those. It's for all families, old families and young families. Even if you don't have kids, come anyway. Um, and we're trying to build some, a little bit more relationship in, in our fellowship. So I think we get some distance. We end up, end up with this little group of people that I talk to and I don't talk to this group, the sheep and the goats, or the sheep, the goats, whatever. And uh, so we're going to cross the aisle there. you got to cross the aisle. So anyway, I think we're going to try and do that here in the next month or so. We'll start trying to do that once a month or once every couple weeks. I'm not sure. So look for that to come and, and look to be a part of that. And again, look to be a part of, of music here at Plant Grow Harvest. We, we're, we're going to have a transition here as Dave and Sarah leaves. We're going to do some things differently. I think we're going to um, consider not. I, I personally am considering not having a Wednesday night service and teaching on Sunday morning, Sunday night. And, um, and mainly until I can stop working, which I'm trying to do, um, working for other people, um, I, it's just too much for me to have more than one sermon throughout the week uh, prepared and everything. So our, I think we're going to more of our Sunday night will be kind of like Wednesday night, uh, more of a shorter sermon and more time in prayer. And so come be a part of that. D Dave will be preaching on Sunday night until we finish Job. And then um, and he, we can still bring him back off the benches, but he's got to come from Knoxville after that. So um, let's see you go, Dave. Love you, man. Sarah, I love you more. Oh, all right. <laughs> all right. God bless you all. I'm glad you're here. I would love to stay and talk to you. If you are not, anybody, any business things I'm missing that needs to be brought up? No? Okay. Right. Right. Okay. All right. We'll pray for that right now before we go. Um, hurricane. Anything else business-wise? If you are here today and you heard the word and maybe you've questioned who God is, maybe you haven't seen him work in your life, I see if I read God's word as his people, which I believe were his people, those that believe in Christ are God's people. I know the Israelites are his people. You can be his people too. I know that if you die without knowing him as a living, breathing person on the earth, then you'll be separated him, not from him now, but for eternity. I know that God is real, and I know that many people are really slow to respond to his love. And I'm going to ask you this morning that if you've heard this today, and maybe you've got questions about you've heard of evolution or millions of years or whatever, and you've heard all this time, and now this crazy man is telling you that God created everything in six days, and you have trouble with that, well, I'm sorry. But I'm telling you, don't reject God because of a word that a man spoke. Seek the Lord while he can still be found. Today is the day of your salvation, but you have to humble yourself and come to him. 
It begins with a simple thing, as simple as Jesus saved me, recognizing that you're a sinner and that there's no way that you can save yourself. But there is a life after death. Don't go into the grave without knowing the Lord. So I'll wait for you this morning. If you have other prayer requests, things that you want to talk about, I will be here. And uh, I would love to talk to you about that today, okay? Father, this morning, we lift up this place, Lord. We lift up those that are hurting. We lift up those that are feeling separated from you. We lift up those that, that know you but have distanced themselves from you because of the kicking against the goads. We lift up this morning those that don't know you and they're still investigating. Lord, I pray that they don't investigate a moment too long, but they turn from their wickedness and their rebellious heart and their hardened heart and they come to you, Lord, in humility and ask for you to save them and begin to walk in newness of life, a new creation, not walking like the old man, but like the new man. Have mercy on us, Lord. Father, we do pray for those that are in the path of the hurricane and the, those judgments that are built into the earth. I mean, I've been to New Orleans and I know what's there. It's a, it's a wicked place, but surely, surely there's believers there that will be harmed as well. Lord, I pray for your mercy. I pray for your mercy. We pray for those that are in harm's way, Lord, in, in other places, you know, overseas and wherever. We pray for the Christians that are in persecution throughout the world. We pray for our own country, Lord. We pray for our president and our Congress and all those that are in authority over us, Lord, that they would repent while there's still time and turn and begin to follow you, make their decisions based on your word and not the, division, the, the, the mysteries of man, the thinkings of man. Father, be with us this week as we go. Thank you for this fellowship. Thank you for this time together, Lord. And we thank you for this food. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I'll wait for you. Come on.